Good morning, First Baptist. How we doing? My name is Daniel Morrow, uh, and I was the guest speaker this weekend uh, for Winter Retreat, and I'll echo what, what Hunter just said. Um, what an awesome time it was to be in this room with over 150 teenagers from across your city, Nacogdoches, Texas, worshiping Jesus together all weekend, bringing glory to his name. And can I say, too, something about this room? Hey, um, so I, I come from Burleson, Texas, First Baptist in Burleson, Texas, um, and we don't have quite this kind of space where your voices, you sound beautiful this morning, uh, singing phrases, and not just the choir, but, but, but the people out here as well. And man, what an honor it is to be with you. Um, I, I was told, I, I have a friend um, who, who spent a lot of time, uh, hopefully not getting into trouble here at First Baptist Nacogdoches, I was told there wouldn't be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but Chad Brantley, a good friend of mine, uh, gives his welcome and his hello. He wanted me to say hello. I know he was here last week sending pictures of myself to me, um, but man, what, what a cool opportunity it is to be here. Thank you to, to Pastor Noel and to Hunter and the whole crew for allowing us uh, to be here. Uh, my, my family is back home in Burleson. I, I am the, the husband uh, of an eighth grade English language arts teacher. Uh, she also teaches dance uh, at the middle school level. She started a dance team. Uh, and so she is very, very busy with her dance team this weekend in particular uh, in a competition. I have two little girls. I'm a girl dad. Uh, so a four-year-old named Sloan who, I kid you not, it's 1022, she woke up at seven o'clock and she's been talking for three hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> Anybody? Uh, and she'll, she'll be talking until about 7.30 tonight when I finally coerce her. Like, please, please, go to sleep. Uh, and then we have a, a one and a half year old, she's born in 2020, named Sutton. Uh, and little Sutton hit a milestone this past week. She took her first two or three steps without us caring. Yeah, exciting things in our household uh, over the past few weeks. But man, what an honor it is to be here with you this morning. And uh, man, what an honor it was to be with your teenagers. And I thought it would be appropriate this morning uh, in light of spending some time with your student ministries across the city uh, to talk a little bit about what it looks like to be a church that is not just multi-generational, which we can see in this room, lots of generations represented in this space. Not just a church who's multi-generational, but a church that is intergenerational, that you see uh, multiple generations of people coming together to spur each other on to look more like Jesus. And so in light of that, we're going to turn our attention this morning to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 will be in verses 8 through 13. If you have your Bible, I know there's Bibles in the pew in front of you as well. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. You see, I think it's entirely possible for a church to be a multi-generational church and yet totally miss out on the fruit of being an intergenerational congregation. And yet I believe First Baptist Church is across the great state of Texas. I think we have the, the, the biggest opportunity in front of us. I believe if we're going to move forward and thrive as intergenerational congregations, that we need some hand raisers to rise up across our congregations. 
So with that in mind, we're turning our attention here to Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to come to a story of Moses. And if you know your Old Testament here, you know that Moses is the selected leader by God to lead his people out of slavery in Israel. And so to this point, he's done that. He's followed the word of God. He's followed the will of God, and he's led his people out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery, and God is guiding them through the wilderness, doing some crazy things along the way, right? Uh, Giving them light by day and by night to show them the way, guiding them every single step. Uh, Just a few chapters before this, he literally rains bread, manna from heaven to feed his people. Said, hey, you you need nothing but me. I will take care of you. He then, chapter 17, has provided water from a rock. And yes, the Israelites are grumbling along the way. And yet God is still faithful to provide. And over and over again, you see these incredible things happening in the lives in and around the people of Israel, his chosen people. And then we land here in chapter 17, verse Verse 8, where the word of God says then, this. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. And he fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. When, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Please pray with me. God, thank you. For your word. You gotta pray that you would help us to apply this scripture in a way that's fresh this morning, God, but in a way that's that's life-changing, God, that, that we would truly strive to be a people for one another. Uh, God, a people that spur each other on and a people who grow closer together as we grow closer to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text before us this morning is quite simple in explanation. Few verses, easy story. It's, it's a battle that was fought um, by not any single individual, but there are multiple individuals in this battle. So you have Joshua in the army, the, the warriors who were kind of doing the dirty work. This is the first mention of Joshua in Scripture. So he's the son of Nun, he's, he's Moses' assistant and successor, the military leader whom God chose to lead the Israelites in conquest in Canaan. And, and you see that, that Moses chooses uh, Joshua to lead the men to go out and fight against Am- Am- Amalek. So you've got the Amalekites, which is an enemy kingdom that opposed Israel at key times in biblical history. And so Joshua does exactly what Moses tells him to do there in verse 10. He does what he told him to. He goes and fights while uh, Moses and Aaron and Hur go up to the mountain, which then brings you to the second key player in this story, which is Moses, who is kind of the cog in the whole thing, right? He is what makes this go. Because while Joshua goes down to battle, Moses is actually positioning himself overlooking the battle at the bottom of the hill. And uh, to this point, By all accounts, Moses is a great leader. As a young boy, he was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. Uh, He was a prophet and a lawgiver. He was the author of the Pentateuch, the the first five books of our Bible. He was a prince. He was a shepherd. He became the leader of the Israelites. You see, he's a buffer between God and his people. He's obedient to the will of God. 
But he's also a man of weakness and frailty, often causing more trouble for himself uh, through his weaknesses and his own actions. And, And there are many examples that show us that Moses is actually not the superhero in the story. God himself is a superhero in Moses' story. And yet through all of his weaknesses, through all of his strengths, Moses was a man set apart by God for the holy purposes of God. And he brings him on this occasion. And Moses is positioned at the top of the hill and he's standing with the staff of God in his hand. A keynote here, Moses actually acted as the standard standard bearer for Israel. He was their intercessor. He was praying for the success of the victory below. So as he's watching, he is continually praying for the Israelites down below, for Joshua and the army. And as long as Moses' hands are raised, as long as they are raised in supplication and reverence to God, Joshua and the army below are are experiencing victory. They're prevailing. But Moses' hands grew heavy. Which, by the way, my arms are already starting to hurt. I've held them up for like 20 seconds. Can you imagine? All day till sunset. So his hands begin to grow heavy. And so then you see the other players in this story, Aaron and her, who I've affectionately called the hand raisers. And this is where I want to focus our attention on what happens around Moses. One of the clearest truths about Moses is that while he was a great leader, in fact, he's even listed in Hebrews 11 of the the hall of faith passage. Like these are all the dudes who had faith in Jesus Christ. He He is there and all these things he had going for him. Moses did not do what God called him to do by himself. See, God uses his brother, his sister, his wife, his father in law, countless others to accomplish the plan and purposes of God through his servant. Moses. And this is exactly what we see here is Aaron and her give him a big old comfy stone for him to sit down on. They support, like physically support his hands, one on either side of the other. So his hands were steady until the sunset. And so while that happened, just as was happening before, Joshua continued to fight and overwhelm the Amalekites at the hill below. So church, what I want you to really think about this morning and the question that I have for you this morning is are you, are you a hand raiser? Are you a hand raiser? I think there's two requirements to this. And the first thing is this, proximity, uh, both to Jesus and to others. To be a hand raiser, to be one who comes alongside the work of God in others and helps them spur on towards who they are created in Christ and the work that is before them. To be a hand raiser, you must first be in close proximity to Jesus Christ yourself. You must be in close vertical proximity with Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.1 says that whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God, whoever loves the father, loves the children, loves the child born of him. You will not be a hand raiser. You will not spur anyone on for the kingdom of God if you've not first given your life to Jesus Christ. Furthermore, you will not be a hand raiser in the kingdom if you are not actively seeking the Lord in daily personal consistent worship i talked with our teenagers this 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 weekend about the idea of of how we so often get caught in living for the mountaintop moments 
wanting to go to camps, wanting to go to conferences, wanting to get away and worship together. And yet, really, I believe that true faithfulness is built in the quiet and the stillness of you and the Lord and your Bible open, seeking him in daily worship together. And the reality is that when you bring your personal act of worship together corporately, that's when true, magnificent worship to the king comes together. You're not living for Sunday, you're living from Sunday because your every single day life is lived with Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers, I, I think um, one thing that gets in the way of, of, of our pursuit of Jesus so often, I know my life is busyness. I just get going. Oswald Chambers said this, we slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him. Church, I stay before you a chronic overworker. Uh, a day of rest for me is probably not very restful for some people. Like I'm, I'm the nervous energy, need to be doing something with my hands. So um, I, I haven't said this yet. I'm actually an Aggie. Let's go. There's a few of you. Let's go. Just had to throw that in there. Um, and uh, we, we Aggies are crazy. I'm one of the super crazy ones. So uh, whereas like some people would find it relaxing to watch college football on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, for me, not quite the same, right? So it's like, dude, uh, I'm either like up and down, jumping up and down, yelling at the TV, or I'm like, all right, college football games are on. I, this is a perfect time to fold some laundry. Uh, this is a perfect time to organize this and organize that. I'm gonna grab a Diet Coke on the way and do this. I'm gonna be doing all these things and staying busy because uh, heaven forbid, I actually sit down and just rest and relax and let my body take a break. And, and God in his, in his uh, providence gave me a wife uh, Miss Jody, who does the exact opposite. Uh, my, my wife's happy place is our, is our couch. Uh, and so when she, anybody in the room, like, yes, praise Jesus for the couch at home. Uh, she comes home, she sits down, and, and the perfect weekend for her is one where she's just, give me a book and my couch, and y'all give me some space. Let me sit and quiet. And, and shamefully, there have been moments in, in um, Jody is, is so good to me and, and so good for me, and, and we, we make a great partnership. And there have been moments where, where she's had to literally catch my attention as I'm running around trying to be as productive as possible on a day off. And she, she literally catches my attention and says, hey, hey, buddy, look at me, look at me. Slow down, look at me in the eyes. Hold my hands, look at me in the eyes. Stop doing so much for our family and just be here for us. Now hear me out. Some of us in this room, myself included, we're so eager to do the work of God that we actually sacrifice the daily discipline of simply knowing him first. See, I want to see hundreds of hand raisers rise up across our state across this congregation, but may it not be at the expense of you consistently putting in effort to know God better. Again, 1 John 5, 2 through 4 says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For what is born of God overcomes the world. Who... And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our 
faith. You see, when we're locked in in vertical proximity, locked in with Jesus Christ, then you will begin to see the natural overflow into what I call horizontal proximity or a closeness to one another through the Spirit of God. It is possible to be a multi-generational church and not make an intergenerational impact for the kingdom of God. You see, it's, it's vital that we get in close proximity to one another, in particular to those who are not of our generation, who are not of our age, who are not of our life stage. It's vital for us to do that. You know why? Because younger people see the generations ahead of them, both one and two and three and four generations ahead of them. And when they see them loving and serving Jesus, people then become pathways to Jesus. You see, when you're singing in the choir and you've got someone of a younger generation next to you. I'm not crazy. You have conversations with one another. You get to know the person you sit next to. And I believe in relational ministry, that when you're doing something you love together, when you serve together, you actually grow together. So, man, we need to be bridging the gap everywhere we can to bring people, uh, to, to get a little bit of Jesus on people in every way that we can, and young people, to pass our faith on. That was the great sin of the people of Israel in the Bible, is they didn't pass their, their faith on. You look in Joshua and Judges. It's like The reason why we hit that point in history is because people stopped passing their faith on. We need generations ahead of us to be passing, and my generation as well, to be passing on our faith to the next generation so that people become pathways to Jesus for the younger generation. One of my mentors, he's been a mentor for a ton of student pastors across the nation. His name is uh, Dr. Richard Ross at Southwestern Seminary. He wrote a book called Student Ministry and the Supremacy of Christ where he kind of put together a ton of research on what it looks like to to help a student, a teenager, build a lifelong faith by the time they graduate high school. And here's something that he, he drew, a significant conclusion that's actually, this was written 30 years ago and it still holds true today. It says this, students who have a heart connections with at least five significant spiritually alive adults have the best opportunity to, to develop a sustainable, alive faith embracing the supremacy of Christ. See, at the heart of a Christian faith is a relationship. A relationship between a triune God and a believer is defined by the truth of Scripture. So it should not be a surprise that relationships are also at the heart of spiritual transformation. To be a hand raiser, you must be in close proximity to God as well as others in your congregations. And to be truly close in proximity, you're also going to have to do everything with purpose or intentionality. Second point, you be a hand raiser, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional with your support. So think back to the Exodus text and, and everything in that split moment when they start to decide, man, Moses needs help. And we need to figure a way out how to do this. They had to find a boulder big enough to be comfortable enough for him to sit on. They had to think of, uh, they had to do it quickly. They had to account for the fact that they would be there for a long time. So until sunset. Uh, and uh, they did not just, um, Moses, Aaron, and Hur did not just support Joshua and the warriors below, but they see that a bunch of brave men as exactly who they are. They are flesh. They are people. They are kin. They are vital to the people of God. They take ownership of the battle that is below. Uh, 
Hear me very carefully here. It is not enough for a congregation to just be supporters of the next generation. As a congregation, we must see these students, the next generation, as our students. Then on the flip side, students in the room, both junior high, high school, college, it's not enough for you to just be supporters of the congregation. You must see this congregation as your congregation. There's a collective ownership. of a community that is walking and yearning to look more like Jesus day by day together. And you see, there's a difference in the mentality of ownership and that of merely being a rental. And if you disagree with me, you're in a college town, go look at a college student's house sometime. I know mine was nasty, I'm gonna be completely honest. But my mindset shifted in the place that I live, A, when I got married, right? Wife didn't want to live with a slob. But also when we bought our first house. And you begin to fix little things and make it the way you want it and hang things just right. And, oh man, there's a problem with this. So I need to put some money in to fix the air conditioner. Well, I'm also going to paint this or renovate this. And as you begin to do these things, this, this mentality shift happens of like, man, this is my place. This is my home. These are the things that I'm putting effort and energy into. It, it is something that I care about deeply and I've put blood and sweat and tears into this. There's a difference between the mentality of ownership and that of just renting a space or just being a part of something. Ownership in the spiritual walk means making discipleship personal. It means investing in relationships across generational Lines. We must be intentional with our support. We must also be intentional with our efforts. Uh, and this is, I, forgive me, young people in the room, I'm, I'm going I'm to press in just a little bit here because something that really gets me going is when I hear young people, uh, so I'm, I'm 32, just for reference, so 32 and younger, that's who I'm kind of pointing to here, millennials and younger. Uh, it drives me nuts to hear us, I'm one of you, complain about wanting a mentor but then thinking it's just going to like pop out of nowhere. Like you'll walk in one day and there will be like the Lord's shining sun and the person who you're going to walk up to. We have to be intentional with our effort to seek out people, to look for people who we admire the way that they follow Jesus and live their life and just start asking questions. I've never met someone who is further along than me in life, who I admired and respect and wanted to learn something. I've never had anyone say, you know, I don't want to go get lunch. Everybody likes to eat. Most people like coffee. So anytime I see someone that I want to learn from, someone that I want to, to sit in their presence and learn who they are, and what makes them who they are, I, I go to them. I don't sit back and wonder when my next mentor is going to come. I go and look for them because I know that we are put into a place at a specific time for a specific reason and I don't want to miss those opportunities. So young people in the room, don't be bashful about asking people if you can just sit in their presence and get to know them and glean from them and learn from them in whatever stage of life, it's healthy to get out of your comfort zone, to spend time with others. Maybe you're in your 20s. You've got a baby on the way. You just bought a new house. Maybe you're starting a new job. You just moved to Nacogdoches. Find some time to invest in someone 
and spend time with someone with a few decades of experience under their belt. Find that mom who has two kids and just ask her for wisdom and support and prayer. If you're 80 years old, you've lived in Nacogdoches your entire life. You're giving scholarships for camp. Thank you. You're helping kids get to weekends like this weekend. Thank you for all you're doing. But what we need and what I want is to help you meet and share your experiences, share your heart with the next generation that you are impacting financially. Let's go beyond just the financial support. Prayer is great. I love prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. But move prayer to action of getting face-to-face with people and learning stories. And what would it look like if we were to be intentional with our support of one another, both young and old, and intentional with our effort? I attended Southwestern Seminary. We moved to Fort Worth, my wife and I, in 2012. Um, in, in the spring of 2013, I was going to Travis Avenue. I was actually on staff at Travis Avenue Baptist Church. And I remember um, I was the, the, the 23-year-old in a room full of 80-year-olds. You'd go to a, like a 6 a.m. men's prayer breakfast on Tuesday mornings. Um, I don't know what compelled me to go necessarily, but, but I put myself there. And I'll never forget, about three weeks in, as I'm sitting there, and our pastor uh, said, you know, we're going to do something a little bit different this, this week. And what I would love for you to do is to go around the room and just share your story. When did you start walking with Jesus? How long have you been walking with Jesus? And what does that look like for you? And I remember sitting in that room as one by one, these men, 80, 90 years old, begin to share stories of walking with Jesus for 60, and 70 years And my math is not good. I'm an Aggie, remember, but I quickly did it and realized, man, I'm 23 years old and I'm sitting in a room with men who have walked with Jesus for two and three, like not been alive for two to three times my age, but have walked with Jesus for two to three times my lifetime. And I am in the presence of them and hearing them speak of the goodness of God and the mercy of God in their life, and how he's blessed them, and what challenges they're going through. And in that moment, this young student pastor in training felt his spirit filled and felt the purpose of God in my life and the realization of thankfulness to be in a room like that, being poured into by men who didn't know my name yet and yet still believed in me and what I was doing and why I was there. So I ask, are you a hand raiser? And just some closing thoughts. Some of you, again, are are not simply because you're not following Jesus. In order to be a hand raiser, you you must be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, And perhaps this is the day where you put your trust in Jesus. And the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that we are sinners And there's nothing that we can do but Jesus himself put on flesh. He's God sent by the Father, put on flesh to live the life we could not live, die the death that we deserve because of our sin, but then raised to life three days later and walk in victory so that by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we may have life and everlasting life through him. And Romans 10, 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And it's this act of repentance, of laying down your sin at the foot of Jesus and saying, you know what, I'm gonna lay this down and turn my back to my life that was and begin to wholeheartedly chase Jesus and everything that he has for me. Maybe this is the day that you do that for the first time in your life. Some of you are not hand raisers simply because you're not in proximity with people who look different than you who are older than you. You're not stepping out in faith and with purpose. You're not putting yourself in a position to be a part of an intergenerational congregation. Some of you in this room are living this out. And my my encouragement and my plead for you as, as as a student pastor myself in Burleson, Texas, is please keep raising hands. Keep supporting the next generation and those around you. Leave a lasting legacy and a mark that will outlive you here in Nacogdoches. And we will do our best to do the same. So we're going to spend a little bit of time responding this morning. And and man, I, I invite you just to consider those three things. Have you given your life to Jesus? If not, perhaps today is the day that you do that. Perhaps you needed to spend some time reflecting on, man, maybe there's something more in my life in terms of serving others in and around me. And maybe that's what you really need to dig into today. And for some of you, maybe it's just a renewed spirit and commitment to being a hand raiser. My prayer is that the Lord would work in mighty ways in this church to save and redeem a city that needs Jesus and to do so in a powerful way in 2022. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for... The beauty of a congregation that doesn't look the same, God. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who run and seek you fervently, who chase after Jesus and do so in a way that we bring others alongside of us. God, I pray that our mark would outlive our life, that our legacy of faith would be passed on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, that you may get all the glory to your name, God. Thank you for your word. Would you meet with us here? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.